Let us pray. Loving God, we pray that you will give us ears to listen, minds to understand, and hearts to love. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I still think it's cool to be able to say, please be seated, after so long of not really having many people in here to ask to be seated. So uh, that's the novelty of having done uh, online-only worship for a while. So welcome. So here's the scene that we find in Mark 9 today. The disciples and Jesus are walking to Capernaum as they walked everywhere or took a boat. Um, I kind of imagine that Jesus is up there ahead of them on the road and they were taking this walk right after Jesus had told them some really difficult things which they didn't understand, some things about how he was going to be killed and, and that he would rise again and very puzzling to them things that they would come to understand more clearly later. So as they're walking along the road, um, I imagine in this scene that Jesus is kind of walking up ahead of them, maybe getting a break from people, a few moments to collect his thoughts, center himself after saying these hard things to them and not really getting much of a response. Um, and they're talking amongst themselves, kind of this gaggle of disciples behind Jesus on the road to Capernaum. I imagine it's kind of an animated discussion um, and that maybe sometimes some of them like, oh, you know, hushed tones, like we, we can't say this too loud, like we don't want Jesus to hear us. Or maybe they just had no self-awareness at all, <laughs> and, which I suspect is probably more the case. And they're just having this conversation that later when they get to where they're going, Jesus sits down in this house in Capernaum. He's like, so what were you guys arguing about on the way here? Um, and what is their response? They're silent. It's like when you catch your kids doing something or you've been caught doing something and there's really not a good response. You can make up something, but probably it's in your best interest to just not say anything. So the reason why they were silent is they've been arguing about who among them was the greatest. And this was their response to Jesus just kind of sharing this really important, uh, deep, heavy thing with them about how he's going to be killed and then rise again. And their response was not to kind of ask questions amongst themselves about what did Jesus mean by this? Instead, which one of us does Jesus like the best? Uh, who has Jesus's ear? Who is Jesus listening to the most? Who would he like to take the lead once he's gone? Maybe that's what brought it up. Oh, Jesus isn't going to be here forever, so we'd better, like, you know, figure out who's going to get to take over uh, the ministry after Jesus is gone. But here's what Jesus offered them as a response to their question that he overheard them arguing about on the road about who among you is the greatest. He said, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. I mean, just that one sentence pretty much just shuts down their whole really ridiculous conversation that they are having amongst themselves. And then to further kind of, you know, drive that point home, he brings over a child, has the child stand amongst them, and then takes the child up into his arms and says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, of course, he literally means that about children, but I think 
the child means a lot more. The child is a stand-in or a symbol for whoever welcomes the least amongst us, whoever welcomes those who don't have much power or authority, whoever welcomes those who need to be cared for and protected and nurtured, then you're welcoming Jesus. And when you welcome Jesus, you're welcoming God. So I look back on that scene and I think these disciples were really such self-absorbed people to the point of stupidity, really. Um, and yet this is not an unfamiliar scene to us. If you look around at pretty much any context today, um, the political world, the business world, your own social circles, your families, and I would say even especially sometimes in the church, um, we see this striving to be the greatest. Um, I mean, just an example, like we're a very hierarchical church in the Episcopal Church. Um, a presiding bishop can only be presiding bishop for nine years. So it doesn't take many years in for people to already start saying, which bishop is gonna be the next presiding bishop and who's, who's positioning themselves to be the next one and all of those things. And the same thing for any kind of position of authority in the church. So we see this striving to be the greatest, the striving to be above other people, which is exactly, of course, the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to do. What I've found uh, in my 47, almost 48 years of life so far is that striving is born from insecurity. Like I see that in myself, I see that in others. Um, I have two daughters, and uh, they're both teenagers. And of course, middle school, I would say, is probably the worst possible time of life. You think back to your own years of junior high and middle school, it's the worst possible time. I and mean, people are just awful to each other. Why are they awful to each other? Because they're extremely insecure people. They're trying to figure out who they are. I mean, and really, amongst girls, because both of my children are girls, you see this weird stuff amongst girls way back even in elementary school when they're tweens and even earlier where, you know, <clears throat> making people feel bad about what clothes they're wearing or they don't have the right kinds of clothes or even what they're bringing in their lunch. Like uh, my child was once, uh, you know, made to feel bad about herself uh, at her elementary school in Texas because she didn't have a healthy enough lunch which is crazy to me because it's like sugar-free applesauce and like all of these like purposefully healthy things. But it just goes to show that people will do anything and look, seize upon anything to make um, another person feel lower or feel bad so that they can somehow prop themselves up to feel good. And we do this to each other all the time as adults. It's not just elementary and middle school age girls, although, I would say it's especially prevalent there. The James passage offers us some clarity on all of this stuff about striving and insecurity. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? You want something and do not have it. You covet something and cannot obtain it. You do not have because you do not ask. So we don't get along with each other. We put each other down and make each other feel awful about ourselves when we ourselves feel bad and we're trying to distract ourselves from that, build ourselves up by putting each other down. 
And the part at the end is really important. You do not have because you do not ask. We're not asking God to help us and to provide for us because we think that we can do it all by ourselves. We're trying to hustle and scheme to make everything work out for ourselves instead of asking God for what we need, instead of submitting to God and drawing near to God so that he will draw near to us. In both the passages from the wisdom of Solomon and James for today, and this is no coincidence because it's how the lectionary works, you see this study in contrast between earthly wisdom or human wisdom and the wisdom from above or God's wisdom. Here's how those passages describe our human wisdom. We reason unsoundly, like that would be like where you're trying to connect the dots in a certain way to get what you want to be the outcome. Uh, People lying in wait um, to attack people who are doing the right thing, testing and condemning the righteous, people who are blind by their own wicked concerns. James describes earthly wisdom as resulting in bitter envy and jealousy, selfish ambition, boastfulness, being false to the truth, unspiritual to the point of being devilish or demonic, and overall characterized by disorder, which is that kind of chaotic frenzy caused by fighting amongst ourselves. That's in contrast to wisdom from above. I liked the uh, the way Wisdom of Solomon described the person who is in touch with the wisdom from above and living that out, that that person's manner of life is unlike that of others. Their ways are strange. They don't fit in. They seem to be in step with the secret purposes of God. Even if they don't quite know what those secret purposes are, they seem to be in step with God. James describes wisdom as being the source of gentleness and that gentleness then is the source of good works. Sometimes wisdom gets confused with um, intelligence or rationality, uh, but in fact, wisdom, especially in the scriptural sense, is practical good behavior. So wisdom, James says, is pure, the fruits of wisdom are that someone is pure and peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, or another translation says, open to reason and full of mercy. I thought I was, hadn't really thought before about that connection between gentleness and wisdom, because oftentimes they're talked about as really different things. But if you think about the people in your life who you've known or that you know who come across as wise people, they're also gentle people. They're gentle with others. They have self-control in what they say and what they do because they're always kind of thinking about and sensing how will that affect the other person. And there's gentleness in that. Gentleness not causing harm to another person, but rather acting in such a way that gives to another person and protects another person and nurtures them and builds them up. James says, show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. In the Greek, ancient Greek context and 
and I would dare say in our own context just as much, gentleness or meekness, the other way the Bible talks about it, is, is often kind of portrayed as weakness. Jesus turned all that upside down, though, in the sense that in the way of Christ, meekness or gentleness is actually elevated to a primary virtue. It's okay to show weakness. It's okay to be gentle with others. It's okay to not always be out for the self with that kind of anxious striving that is so much a product of um, looking out for one's own and building oneself up in the eyes of the world. One commentary says, meekness or gentleness comes not from cowardice or passivity, but rather from trusting in God and therefore being set free from anxious self-promotion. I mean, that's huge, especially in this day of, you know, how many likes or follows did you get on social media and how many people shared this or that post and how many people watched your sermon? <laughs> uh, I mean, just to bring it back to the clergy, right? So, our collect for today gets at this. It talks about anxiousness. Our prayer that John prayed at the beginning of the service, grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. We're praying for God to help us not to be anxious about being above other people or what our reputation is or how much power we can exert over how many other people. Instead, we're asking that we can hold fast to those things that shall endure. So I had to close with um, something someone, a parishioner here, maybe in this service, I'm not sure, but um, someone emailed me a poem. It's also a prayer this week. I thought it would resonate with me, and not only did it resonate with me, but I think it really connects with our passages for today. So I want to close by praying this prayer poem. Um, some of you may have heard of the poet and painter Jan Richardson, and so this is one of hers. To all that is chaotic in you, let there come silence. Let there be a calming of the clamoring, a stilling of the voices that have laid their claim on you, that have made their home in you, that go with you even to the holy places but will not let you rest, will not let you hear your life with wholeness or feel the grace that fashioned you. Let what distracts you cease. Let what divides you cease. Let there come an end to what diminishes and demeans, and let depart all that keeps you in its cage. Let there be an opening into the quiet that lies beneath the chaos, where you find the peace you did not think possible, and see what shimmers within the storm. Amen.